Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dearest Comrades. This episode is really the first proper letter that I've written that isn't just an explanation of what I'm trying to do. So here it goes. Dear Bill Bailey, I feel like I should begin with some honesty. I am not one of your super fans. This is not fan mail in the truest sense. I know that's not particularly a nice way to begin a letter, but I think that's important to understand the context of why I am writing to you now. I have just finished reading your remarkable guide to happiness. It was an impulse buy on Amazon. It looked like it could be fairly cheerful and I needed something different after making my way through David Copperfield, which I enjoyed and recommend, but is a heavy going read. Having now read your book, seen a few gigs, watched a few shows, there is this strange phenomenon where I feel like I know you. I hope saying that hasn't creeped you out too much. I know that as a logical, rational person, that this is a silly feeling to have. And yet, that is the feeling I think we all get with certain people in the public eye. We become invested in them and care about what happens to them. We decide who we like and who we don't. Look at all those huge displays of grief and memorials when a celebrity dies. There is a connection there. Perhaps that is unsurprising when we spend so much time absorbed by what a celebrity does or says or sings about. I've never felt the need to put a poster on my wall of a family member, for example. For me, the connection I feel is absolutely not the same that I have with a friend or a family member, but there is something still special about the connection I create in my own mind with someone appearing on TV or stage who has written something I can relate to. Writing this and thinking about that link we have with those that entertain us led me to do quite a lot of research. I wondered how other people felt. Was it just me that had begun to feel like I know someone I had never met, but yet knew nothing about me? I found myself first reading about celebrity worship syndrome. To be clear, that is not what I'm trying to get at here. I'm not trying to express when the perceived connection terms obsessional or leads to stalking. I'm not attempting to describe something particularly out of the ordinary. It's something different. I then found myself, after jumping through internet hoops and following links on Wikipedia, eventually reading about parasocial interaction. This was an idea that was first formed in the 1950s to describe the relationship that consumers felt that they've shared with television performers. It's a one-sided interaction, 
yet it remains social. This feels a lot closer to what I'm trying to express and I do wonder how social media has impacted this. It certainly makes that connection feel somehow stronger. I also wonder whether this phenomenon has increased with the restrictions in our ability to form those real connections and see people in real life during the pandemic. I think that whether we are reading about someone or watching someone, there is a space in our brains created and we fill in the gaps that the TV show or the book or the piece of music or the interview doesn't tell us to complete that person in our own mind from what we think we know. We extrapolate and decide what fits. That makes us feel like we know this person, that we watch or read about as a more rounded person, that they are somehow complete. They have a dedicated space in our brain and often the contact we have with them can be just as great as the people we know in real life even if it isn't something that's back and forth. There are some people that we can see every day online or on our screens if we choose. And I think we probably do this activity of gap filling, even with those that we do know in real life. It's what leads us perhaps to be disappointed and hurt when someone behaves in a way that we didn't expect them to or feel the way we think that they should, or doesn't enjoy that gift we were so sure they would love. It is just perhaps more obvious that we're doing it when it's to do with someone so removed that we don't know them in real life. And so we rationally know we can't possibly truly know them. There is also another dimension when it comes to this perceived relationship with a celebrity. Often we will associate a particular celebrity or piece of work or song with a time in our lives or even with other people that we love. That gives this connection an added power. For me, when I hear Tom Jones' sex bomb, I am immediately transported back to school discos and incredibly cringe-worthy dance moves that were absolutely inappropriate for children. When someone mentions the Canterbury Tales, I'm reminded of those few weeks when I had fallen out with my friends and I was spending my lunch times in a toilet cubicle, reading alone during the lunch breaks. When I hear the lyrics, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I'm in the car with my dad, listening to one of the many mixed CDs we have made. These pieces of art and the people that create them become part of the soundtrack and landscape of our lives. They become stamps that we mark periods in our lives with. As someone who is not a celebrity, I have only thought about this relationship really from the side of the viewer the person consuming and the person being entertained. I was reminded of this when I was watching a repeat of Glow Up on BBC recently, which by the way is a programme I hugely recommend and is just absolutely lovely. But anyway, 
a makeup artist was speaking about missing her followers on Instagram. I was really surprised by this. I can understand, or I think I can understand, that there must be an enormous energy transfer when you perform in front of a crowd. I can understand that when someone enjoys something that you have produced, it can give you a buzz. And from those two things, I can suspect that if you no longer have those feelings or that experience, you can miss them. It's not really the people, the fans that you are missing, it's the feeling they give you. Yet, this person was very, very clear. They were describing missing the person, the people. It wasn't simply a rock star coming out onto stage and saying, New York, we love you. This was something far more personal. So with this strange feeling of familiarity I have with you, as I read your remarkable guide to happiness, I found myself being surprised by some of what you do, enjoy and have done. It is not what I had pictured. That was just a particularly loud firework, I think, despite the fact it's not yet New Year's Eve, though it is late December. I apologise to those of you that were shocked by that. Um, but I'm going to continue anyway, because I'm not really particularly good at editing things. And we've started, so we might as well finish. Anyway, what I was saying, uh, Mr Bailey, was when I was reading your book, some of these things were not what I'd pictured. They were not part of the gaps that I'd filled in. And usually when I read about the sorts of things that you have done, whether it be wild swimming or jumping out of an aeroplane, I frankly find myself sighing. These sorts of achievements often feel cliche and that these are things that are just not for me. I feel a sense of envy too, if I'm honest. Somehow, these are things that are unobtainable to me, or feel that way at least. Yet somehow, your book did not trigger that usual automatic reaction. I found myself smiling. I found myself strangely calmer. I found myself wanting to get up and do something. It's hard to determine whether it was your book and writing that truly triggered that or not. Maybe it was just the act of pausing and reading. Maybe War and Peace would have had the same effect had I happened to read it when I needed to. Maybe the stars aligned, Venus was not in retrograde, and I just happened to read it on the right time and day for it to have the effect it did. And I should also say, at this point, that for a book that talks about happiness, it neither felt like I was being preached to, nor did it feel like I was being lectured to. Whatever the reasons, it now feels appropriate to say thank you. Somehow you reached into my brain and you triggered inspiration. 
For a few pages, you made me think differently. You made me think about what happiness means to me. And something about your book helped me to begin to look at these small everyday moments that we usually let pass us by. Sometimes, if you allow yourself to pause, think and have that awareness, you can capture that moment. I think this is what mindfulness is getting at. I did it today. I was sitting at home, watching a sitcom I've watched many times before. I was eating a piece of Wensleydown cranberry cheese, generally enjoying having my feet up, and in one brief flash, I realised that it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. There is a great power in being able to pause and have that realisation. It felt as if time had stopped just for that moment. Emily Dickinson once said, the mere sense of living is joy enough. I think there is something wise and true in that. Perhaps she didn't mean quite what I take from it, but to me it highlights that need to appreciate the life we have. I don't mean the big things, like those that love us or what we have achieved or how we have been lucky, though we should of course appreciate those more. I'm talking about the pure happiness that can be experienced in a moment independent of whatever else is happening in your life, that purity of just appreciating the sip of a really good cup of tea. You have inspired me to be a little bit more creative and to be more reflective and to take time to appreciate moments and the things that matter to me. Thank you.